Good Saturday morning to everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, along with Rob Weinberg. I'm uh, Gary Byron. Rob, how are you there, buddy? Hey, Gary. How's it going, my friend? Uh, Not too bad, actually. Uh, How about yourself? Hanging in, man. Hanging yeah, in. Listen. Just trying to get through this crazy time that we're in here. You have to hang in there. You always do. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned the crazy time that we're in. So I don't know what day it was. Actually, it was earlier in the week. Um, I had th- I had like a conversation with three different real estate agents just for various reasons. And they all, though, and it was at different times, different people, different agencies. And I asked him some very similar question. And that was, how are things going? Looking for inventory in the future, and like, and I mean immediate future. I don't mean future like years down the road. And they all said the same thing. They said, of course, you know, we're going to remain in Connecticut, as anyways, having an inventory issue for this foreseeable future. But September, which of course will be next week, um, looks to be better than over the last couple of months, let's say. So uh, they all said September, October. um, And then, of course, it'll slow down in in the holiday season, as it typically does. And you and I have discussed that in the past. But they say September, October, they expect more uh, another little mini boom as far as houses coming on the market. I mean, that'd be great. I think we're all very, very ready to see uh, increase in inventory. Sure. And I had seen something that Hartford, Connecticut was actually in the country, like some of the lowest housing inventory on a nationwide scale. So we're seeing that in Connecticut more than anywhere, but everywhere's having a problem. So if we can see that uptick in inventory, doesn't matter what the rest of the market is doing or the numbers, like there's, there's buyers ready to go. And, uh, you know, I have more pre-approved home buyers out now than I have in my entire career. And that's just a function of the inventory problem that is going on. Because people are able to be flexible with where they're going to move for the most part. And there just aren't any houses. You know better than anyone, right? Yeah, I've been looking for about, well, about a year, almost a year now. Not quite a year, but uh, yeah, since... Was it last January or the January before? I don't remember. Maybe it's yeah, been. Yeah, well, I know you've been dabbling for a bit. I think we did your pre-approval close to maybe about a year ago. I think we started. It was last summer. So, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are. And you've been diligent. You're working with one of the top agents in the state. So, you know, it's it's tough. But I can tell you that more than ever, you have to be flexible. And <laughs> buying a home in this market and saying, you know, these are my must-haves and that's it. I mean, you can do that, but you're going to be sitting and waiting for a while. So if you can find something that's close to what you want, that you can yeah. that you can deal with, at least for the foreseeable future, you can make that into the dream home. That's what our last episode was talking about, not getting in over your head, you know? No, Being right, sustainable right. sustainable with buying a home, because it's so easy, like, to be emotional with it, and most people are. But you've got to step back. It is numbers. There is logic. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about oh, it, too. boy. So many myths out there, especially yeah. now because we've seen that shift happen so abruptly, so quick. Someone will be like, hey, but my brother bought a house a year ago, and this is what he got, <laughs> or this is how it went. We're not in that world anymore. Like, literally, it's day by day right now, and Monday and Tuesday can be completely different. And by the time you get to Friday, the whole week's turned upside down. And I'm talking about that 
from the standpoint of mortgage programs, guidelines, interest rates, economic reports, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a lot. It's no, a lot to take right. on, and that's why people are so confused. I'm glad that you, you bring that up. Um, it's kind of a topic that uh, I wanted to bring up uh, with you today. I, I, I can tell you, um, though, yeah, there's a few things that I'm non-negotiable on, but you're right. You've got to be negotiable if you're looking for a house, you know, with a, you know, with a pool or with a two-car garage or something. I mean, maybe a one-car garage. Maybe you add something on later. Maybe you don't get the pool and you add that a year down the road or something. And and you know, um, certain certainly if you're looking for a specific type of home. Um, you know, if you're looking for a cape, you know, and there's nothing available. It's usually when you hear demands from people, I would imagine it's because they want a certain town, whether it's because of the school system or they're, they're say they feel safer in that community, good police department, whatnot. Um, that, that's more along the lines of the non-negotiables. Other amenities can always be added. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what, uh, what you were referring to. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and people just every single day, they get new info, and then they, like, in their head, merge it with old info. So I'm not going to say I'm the end-all, be-all, because I don't know everything either, and I'm learning every day, especially right now. I mean, it's just <laughs> crazy to me. But being in this industry over two decades, you know, understanding how it works and the cycles, uh, I mean, you just become kind of a lifelong learner, because there's no other way to succeed. If you try to go off what what it was or what you thought from six months or a year ago, you're absolutely going to fail. And I know it's not like that in every industry, but in real estate and in mortgage, you have to be on the cutting edge. And as a home buyer, I would say it's your team, right? They're the ones that are going to be supporting you. They're the ones that are going to be giving you that knowledge and backing you up with that experience uh, that you're going to need. So, you know, there's just too many myths out there now for people not to know the truth, and that's what I want to dive yeah, into today. Let's do that. So maybe you should start by shedding some light on one of the most common misconceptions that people have about getting a mortgage. Yeah, so let's hit it right between the eyes here. <laughs> All right, let's go what for it. What is the number one most common misconception? What I'll tell you that I've found is the most common misconception right now is that people think you need a perfect credit score to buy a home or get a mortgage. And what does perfect mean? Well, that's the issue. You know, for some people, they think 650 is perfect. For other people, 750 isn't even good enough. So what is perfect? I mean, that's relative to what you think. But I can tell you from a technical standpoint, there are mortgage programs that will go down on conventional loans to a 620 credit score, there are government-backed loans uh, that'll go down to a 580 credit score. And in some cases, if you have a lot of compensating factors, like a big down payment or a really low debt-to-income ratio, there are actually loans out there, specifically government loans, that will allow you to buy a home with as low as a 500 credit score. Now, wow. when I started in the industry mm. back in around 2003, I did a lot of loans for people with 500 credit scores, and unfortunately, a lot of those people didn't pay their loans back, and a lot of those people did end up getting foreclosed on. And I tell you that because there's a lot of risk giving a home mortgage to someone with a low 500 credit score. But it is, it is an option. There are programs available. I have multiple investors that will do it, but should you be buying a home with that low of a score? You know, that's a different question for a different show. 
it's really just all about affordability, like we were saying. So don't think because maybe your credit score is in the low 600s or mid 600s or maybe even the high 500s, don't think that you're just not going to well, get no, it. Well, no, but if they're putting 40% down, I mean, you know, uh, out of, a, let's say the house is, I don't know, let's say it's a $200,000 home and they're putting $100,000. That, that would be 50%, of course. But I mean, that's probably when it, it it's feasible at a 500 so, score. No. no? So the high down payment that you're talking about, Gary, is when somebody has a credit score less than 580, okay? okay. If your credit score is under 580, then generally you need to put a minimum of 10% down, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, again, a general rule. Other programs have different things. Conventional won't even touch your loan with under a 620. So that's why it's important to have someone that can navigate uh, the different programs. You see, Now, if you're between a 580 and a 620, then at that point, you could technically get approved with as little as 3.5% down. Um, will you or not? I mean, it depends on other factors. That's the questionable area where you should be able to get approved, but it's going to depend on, again, debt to income and some other things. Now, once you're above a 620 credit score, that's where it opens up a multitude of options. And I'm not saying, again, that that's perfect, But that at least gets you in the game to be able to potentially get some of these other loans, some of these down payment assistance or other programs. So, again, the credit score is not as uh, crazy as people think it is. The credit score is not the end-all, be-all. There are workarounds. There are, you know, different ways, different programs. But just know that a credit score in the 500s doesn't disqualify you, but you have to get more information. You have to get that plan in play because we've done entire shows talking about getting prepped to buy a home. Right. And that's a case where you may need to be do a little bit of prep because you may only have 5% down and you need 10. How long is that going to take you? So that's the number one mm-hmm. myth there, Gary, on the credit scores that I want to just kick this thing off with because I get the question every day and I'll they're bet. just plain wrong. Well, down payments in itself, they're very controversial topics, you know, and we've, you and I, we've talked about it on this show and in the past. All right. So what are some other myths around down payments? Yeah. So down payments, a big one, because again, so many different loan programs, so many different options, and everyone's talking to everyone else about what they did and all this. So let's dispel the myth right here. Many people believe that you need 20% down or more to buy a home. And where this myth came from originally is that years ago, decades ago, when maybe your parents or grandparents were buying a home, you know, banks were a bit stricter on down payment. They they did require that. If you go way, way back to like the Great Depression a century ago, uh, it's my understanding that you had to put 40 to 50% down to even get in the door of a bank to possibly get a loan. And the government's passed initiatives over the years that have allowed it to be lower and lower and lower. And right now, there's a lot of programs that will let you go as little as 3% down conventional, 3.5% FHA, and zero down USDA and VA loans. So there are great options and a multitude of options that will allow you to buy a down, or excuse me, buy a home with lower than 20% down. There's caveats. You're going to pay some PMI mortgage insurance. You know, obviously, your mortgage payment's going to be higher if you're putting a low down payment. Your interest rate might be higher. So there, you know, we're not saying it's a freebie here. But if you're someone who's been scrimping and saving and you think you need this big down payment, just know that you don't and get that plan in play because you may be a lot closer than you think. Hmm. So what about misconceptions that people have around buying a home with student loans or some other large debts? 
Yeah, so this is one that really hits home right now because the administration recently reset all of the student loan payments. So people that haven't been paying their student loans for years all of a sudden have to start paying them again. And if you're trying to save for your first home, uh, it can be difficult when you add another layer of payments on there. And student loan payments can be in the hundreds or more per month, right? So understand that with student loans, there are special calculations used, which can vary depending on the loan program. So VA is going to have a different calculation than conventional and FHA. And what these calculations are is, is how we're going to calculate your affordability on your new home, specifically related to what your student loan payments are going to be. So if the student loan is listed as a zero payment, we're going to have to calculate something for that payment in almost all cases. Don't assume that you don't qualify. Don't think that just because I have a student loan payment, there's no way I'm getting a home. Because I've seen people buy homes with thousands of dollars a month in student loan payments. It's all relative. What's your other debt? What's your income? Get with that advisor that can navigate you and get you towards the home buying goal. The next one is defaulted student loans. People think if I didn't pay my student loan, if it's in default, there's no way I'm getting a home. Well, I'll tell you that it's not impossible. I've helped several people buy homes just in the last couple years that had defaulted on their student loans. So there's a couple different ways to do it, um, but really at the end of the day, the ideal way is to get your name removed from the government caver system, which is a system for people that have defaulted on government debt. You need to know how to do that. It's not easy. It takes a lot. And, you know, fortunately I've been through it, but I cut my teeth and came out battered and bruised trying to get clients off that cavers list, and it took a lot longer than expected. So if that's you, it's not impossible. Just ask the right questions and have someone help you there. Last thing is other debt. You know, student loans aren't the only issue out there. Right now, credit card debt just hit the highest level, I believe, in history. No, you're right. Yeah, I reported that. Yep. Yep. And, you know, these credit card debts can get really, really difficult, too, because the interest is overwhelming. But it's relative to your income. Just because you have a little bit of debt, you know, doesn't mean that you can't buy a house. Or just because you missed one payment on a credit card six months ago, it doesn't mean you're disqualified from buying a house. This is the area, Gary, where you really have to be, uh, you know, objective on what you're trying to get to and have somebody help you. Because if you just go on Google or you just you know, go on social media and you look at what people are talking about around this, you're going to get incorrect information. Real estate is local. Mortgage is local. Figure out what programs you might have access to. The guy that put up a TikTok post from California about their down payment program or their pro, like, that doesn't, that's not relevant to you. You need somebody that knows the local programs because there's so many different options. So just know that, like, these credit issues, these credit events, they don't disqualify you. It's just a bump in the road. I mean, we've mentioned pre-qualification in the past versus pre-approval. And and aren't there a lot of misconceptions around the difference between the two? Like, what's what's the difference between pre-qualified and pre-approval? Yeah, so many people treat them as the same. They do. Um, they're not. So pre-approval and pre-qualification are very different. So let's talk about what they are. How are they different? Pre-approval is thoroughly verifying everything on your loan application, meaning we're verifying your full credit report from all the bureaus. We're verifying your income, how much money you make at your job or business. We're verifying your assets, how much money do you have to actually close, to pay the down payment, to pay the closing costs. We're also generally verifying reserves, money that you'll have after closing, like retirement accounts, uh, IRAs, 
you know, 401s, all that stuff, plus investment accounts that you may have. We want to verify all that because by doing that, we're going to be able to get you knee-deep into the mortgage process. We're going to be able to uncover all the potential hurdles and pitfalls that come up all the time, but the sooner we know, the more or the easier that we can handle them. So when you take that and look at it versus a pre-qualification, a pre-qualification is just a basic review of possibly your credit and then a conversation or a form online to tell us what you make. So there have been people that will fill out my online application and say they make eight grand a month. When I actually get their pay stubs and W-2s and we do the calculation, they make like 6,700 a month. Okay, that's okay, except what if I pre-approved you based on the eight grand and you only make six something? That's a problem. That's why we have to vet it. Mortgage is all about documents. Mortgage is all about verification. If we can do that up front, it's going to give the warm and fuzzy feeling to the other realtors involved, and they're going to want to take your uh, they're going to want to take your offer versus somebody else's. That's really the bottom line. Um, it'll help you stand out in the market. It gives you a competitive advantage. And in this market, I can tell you, in Connecticut, dealing with dozens of listing agents that are friends and colleagues. When I talk to them about pre-qualification versus pre-approval, they kind of laugh because in this market, if you walk up without a pre-approval, you're basically nothing. I mean, with all due respect, you're like dirt on the floor. You absolutely have no value coming in to buy a home without any sort of funds verified. Unless you've got a bank statement showing you've got enough money to buy that house in cash, you have no business trying to buy a home without a pre-approval. A full, a full thorough pre-approval. Okay. Uh, folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. You can get more information on Rob uh, very easily. You simply head on over to his website, which is robgw.com. Let me give you his phone number as well. You should really jot this down right now, 860-413-3938. By the way, I'm going to repeat both uh, the website and the phone number and include an email address more towards the end of the show. Rob, what's the reality behind the belief that you can't buy a home if you have a previous foreclosure or bankruptcy? I've always thought that uh, that's a black eye on your credit and you, it takes seven years to eliminate that. Now, again, that's I'm not, I don't work in your industry. So that, from my perspective, is that a myth? Is that a misconception? Or what's the truth behind it? So the, the only reality to that is you can't buy a home right away. If you just got out of a foreclosure last month, if you just had your bankruptcy discharged, in most cases you can't buy a home right away. You absolutely can buy a home, though. So when we step back and look at what is the mechanics of this, when you have a credit event like a, a foreclosure, short sale, or bankruptcy, a government loan by far is going to be the most flexible. By government, I'm talking about FHA, VA, and USDA loans. So with a bank, or excuse me, with a foreclosure, we can wait anywhere between one and three years, depending on the program. The one year is going to be if the foreclosure was based on an extenuating circumstance. That would be like a death in the family, a job loss, you know, a divorce, something that really created a lot of financial turmoil, and that's what actually created that foreclosure. Mm -hmm. If we can document it right there are potential to buy a home after one year of foreclosure. In most cases, you're going to be more towards the three-year mark, okay, 36 months after that foreclosure. Then when we're talking about bankruptcy, it'd be two years after Chapter 7, 
in 12 months after Chapter 13. So with Chapter 13, you're on a payment plan, so you can actually buy a home while you're in bankruptcy on a Chapter 13, <laughs> as long as you've made at least 12 payments or one year of payments, and all of the payments have been made on time, we can get proof from your bankruptcy trustee that all the payments are on time. In that case, believe it or not, you can actually buy a home while you're in bankruptcy. Wow. People don't realize that. And I had a client a couple years back that had kept talking to lenders that wouldn't help him refinance his home because he had a Chapter 13 that was like a year and a half old. Well... Lo and behold, you know the guidelines. He was able to refinance his home and save hundreds of dollars a month. And it was on a conventional mortgage that we were able to do that. So, again, it's like knowing how to navigate it and not taking no for an answer because there are options. And there is not reality that you just can't buy a home after the foreclosure or bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of timing. You know, many renters think that buying a home is more expensive than renting. So maybe you should discuss the financial consideration of both. Okay, well, I would say to that, right now, it is more expensive to buy a home than renting. It is. Like, you're not crazy. You're not doing your math wrong. Uh, there's no doubt that a mortgage payment in 2023 costs more than a rent payment in almost all areas in Connecticut. Um, but what are the benefits of buying the home versus renting? You know, we got to look at, of course, part of your mortgage is going to go to principal, which is like a forced savings account in the equity of your home. You'll get that money back in the future when you either refinance or sell the property. So it's really just you're waiting to get that money back. What money are you going to get back from your, your uh, landlord other than maybe your security deposit if you're lucky, right? The next thing is we have to look at are you needing to buy a home specifically? Are you needing to plant roots somewhere? If you're in between jobs and you don't know where you're going to end up and you're looking at all these different places to move and you can live anywhere, well, then you may not be needing to plant roots right now. A primary home should always have a consideration of where you're at in the chapter of your life. And uh, unless you're planning on maybe living there for a year and then renting it out, you really want to look at it as a more long-term. I've always preached to my clients, look at a home as minimum three- to five-year investment. I know many realtors will say even five to seven years. Um, so you really want to look at it as a more long-term. And if you know it's not, then you shouldn't be buying a primary home. You can keep renting and keep saving up money. Real estate investment opportunities can come up all the time. So even if you're someone that doesn't own a primary home, do you have savings to invest to make money, right? Like if the perfect option came up for you today and you could cash flow $1,000 a month on a property, would you have the money to do it? Like would you have the money to put down? Could you get the money? The answer is probably no, right? So that's a big thing about real estate. And even if you're renting, uh, there's a gentleman I know well, Grant Cardone. And Grant Cardone oh, is yeah. a multi-billionaire yep. investor. Grant Cardone does not own his primary home. He rents a luxurious condo in Miami for five figures a month in rent. He's a multi-billionaire, and he does not own his primary home. But you know what? The guy owns billions of dollars in real estate. They're rental properties. They're apartments. They're cash-flowing properties. So think about that for a second and make that paradigm shift, even if you're someone that's going, well, I'm not going to buy a home to live in. I don't know where I'm going to be. But what about investment? There's so many great real estate investments out there. And a lot of first-time investors have been coming to me considering buying an investment property first. I always recommend, Gary, to buy a primary home first. It's what I did. It's definitely the best way to go just from uh, you know stacking the dominoes up. But Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it does make more sense for your circumstance to maybe buy an investment property first. 
Um, so that can be there. And like we said, maybe buying a home, living in it for a year, and turning it into an investment. So even though it may be more expensive than renting, let's talk. You know, let's yeah, really look no. at those financial considerations and why it's better to own. You've mentioned that in the past. I guess it just depends where you are in life. All right, I'm running out of time. Okay. And I know you get this one all the time of misconceptions about closing costs. What are some potential costs home buyers are not even aware of? So a lot of first-time buyers especially, they don't even understand closing costs at all, meaning that they think all you got to put down is the down payment. Oh, it's a 3.5% down? That's all I need. That's wrong, especially right now. Closing costs are all of these services that have to be paid as part of your closing. Um, there's prepaid items that have to be collected as part of your closing, like taxes and insurance. There's people that have to get paid for the work they did to get you to the closing, like attorneys, um, surveyors, appraisers, etc. All that's going to be in the closing costs. Generally, you can expect in the state of Connecticut, the closing costs are going to range anywhere between 3% and 5% of the price of the home, and that's on top of your down payment. So if you're doing 3.5% down FHA plus closing costs, you actually Actually, probably need closer to eight, eight and a half percent of the total price of the home. Mm. Consider that. There's a myth out there that you can roll the closing costs into the home purchase. I get this all the time. Once people understand and figure the closing costs, they go, hey, can we just roll that in? I can't pay that. Can we just roll that into the loan? Yes, there's a way to do that. It doesn't work in all cases. You have to get the home seller to agree to do that, to credit you, and then it can be rolled into the loan. Also, the house has to appraise for a high enough amount that we have the ability and the room to be able to roll it into the price. So those are considerations. And the last thing is very important to understand that the closing costs are generally the most expensive part of the home purchase, and they're going to be required, you know, in pretty much every circumstance. Another thing is the points. Oh, yeah. Okay, people talk about paying points. A couple years ago, you could go out and say, I'm not paying any points. In 2023, I'm in the independent channel. We have the best mortgage pricing in the country, hundreds of lenders. And I priced a loan this morning, and I didn't see a loan without points. So there are cases like today where the market dictates you might have to pay a half a point, a point, a couple points. What I don't recommend is don't pay five points. Don't pay three points. Don't go overboard in most circumstances. It's not going to make sense because of that refinance opportunity that we talked about. So that's a big closing cost people don't understand is the points piece of it. Talk to your lender because, again, that can be a huge, if not the most expensive part of those total closing cost breakdowns. You've been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio show in the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. You can get more information on this show as well as all of the other topics that we've discussed in previous episodes. When you head over to Rob's website, it's www.robgw.com. By the way, if you've got a question that you'd like to have answered right here on these very airwaves, maybe as soon as even next weekend, simply email us at Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. And if you'd like to schedule a consultation with Rob, a very easy to do, and why wouldn't you want to, simply call him right now, 860-413-3938. Again, 860-413-3938. And in case we don't want to flood his phone with all these calls at one time, please leave him a message if he does not pick up immediately. Leave your pertinent information and he will get right back to you. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. So long.